Ron and Anian. But you've always got to think you can fix it. You can't think you can't fix it. If you think you can't fix it, you won't. If you think you can fix it, you will. It's got a leaky carburetor, a rusted air floor, four broken windows, bullet holes in the door, torn up old seats, and the lock don't fit the key. Now, baby, who would really love this company? The car doctor. In the door jam connector of a 99 CRV, pin six is a yellow red wire. Pin seven is a yellow red wire. Do you think it's possible you could come up with something different than two similar wires in the same connector side by side on the same vehicle? Hello? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor at your service at 855-560-9900. Here to talk to you about your automotive problems, whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. As I like to say, as we roll out across this great country of ours on this syndicated radio program, I am here also on podcast. You can get out to cardoctorshow.com, get out to iTunes, iHeart, and tune in and pick up podcasts of this radio show. Subscribe, download, do whatever your heart desires, and bring us with you wherever you want to go. Uh, just keep in mind the car doctor's here for you. So if you have a question, if you have a problem, 855-560-9900 is the phone number that you want to get in on, and we can have that conversation. I think, well, you know, and I said to Tom and Tony before the show today, I said, wouldn't it be great if there was a way that I could express myself on air the way I feel during the course of the shop? And and then we increase the delay time? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> because we, we're, we, we, we are a family broadcasting station. We couldn't say all those words. But it made me think of this. I said, maybe this is an open and a conversation and a monologue to have with the listening audience. Did you ever notice in Star Trek, every time they visited Vulcan, you know, where Mr. Spock lived, and uh, du- Tuvok from uh, uh, Voyager, you never see cars on Vulcan. Did you ever notice that? And they claim to be this big advanced race and, you know, all this technology. I think the reason there's no cars on Vulcan is because there's no emotion on Vulcan, because emotion is a key essential ingredient in not just operating a vehicle, who hasn't given the single-digit salute at one point or another in their career of automotive prognostication, but it's also part of the repair process. Denial is a very strong emotion, and it confuses the repair process. A tale of four batteries. It was a cold Thursday morning this past week in the shop at RA Automotive. All four batteries failed, all the same, but all the stories just a little bit different. 2005 Honda Pilot. Three-year-old battery, dropped dead with no warning. Customer got it. I think probably the most balanced and normal customer in the shop that day. She understood the failure. Things go wrong. Brought it in. Waited. We put a battery in it. On her way. No complications. No other real emotion other than, oh, well, my battery died. 2001 Jeep. Battery died, five years old. 20 minutes on the phone explaining the battery died, it's old. Yeah, but maybe there's a bigger problem. Maybe you need to let me take a look at and diagnose the problem and see what's going on before we start to panic and think about all the other things that it could be. 
You can't live your life by if. Remember apocalypse now? If is the middle word in life. That doesn't apply to auto repair. 2013 Honda Accord. Battery died. Just about four years old. Spent 15 minutes on the phone. Why isn't this under warranty? I don't know. I didn't design it, drive it, buy it, or break it. I'm just going to be here to fix it. The battery died. Things break. Denial of what could be wrong and just accepting responsibility. 2007 Toyota Camry. I love this one. Original battery. You want me to say that again? 2007 Toyota Camry. Original battery. Do the math. The battery's nine years old. Battery terminals were so corroded, they were beyond recognition. They didn't look like battery terminals anymore. It almost didn't look like a battery. It was almost like I had to wear a biohazard suit when I lifted the hood because it was so much corrosion and, 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 and chemical floating around under there. And the damage it did to the surrounding wiring harness, engine undercovers, cables, I, you know, that'll be the next. Gee, I don't understand why my car is unreliable and why it doesn't run right and why it... And hurry up, I have to be somewhere else. That was the other part of that conversation. That was a weight job. Did denial cause these people not to maintain their cars? And is it because cars are perceived to be made better? Or is that just the image today? I think denial keeps us safe. You know, when we talk about auto repair and the complications, I had a woman this week with a vehicle. We ended up looking the car over, did an oil change, Looking the car over, the car needed $1,500 worth of brakes. And when the car was done, when the repair was done, and I explained to her, because I noticed, you know, she was a grandma, and there was two car seats in the back, and I knew she was carrying the kids. I explained to her, here's why you need to replace the brakes now. You know, two of the rotors were so badly rusted, the surface contact area of the rotor, if it was two inches wide, the rotor only had about an inch worth of safe contact area. The rest of the rotor was so badly rusted and decayed, it was flaking off and falling apart. Denial kept her going like this for a while because she'd been told by two other repair shops, you need brakes, but she chose not to listen. I made her listen. At the risk of losing her, I made her listen because I saw the two car seats in the back seat because I know what can happen when a 4,000-pound automobile doing 60 hits the brakes and there's nothing there. Denial kept her for the longest time from fixing that car. Denial kept all these people, except for the first one, which was a surprise, from replacing their batteries. My answer is denial is more than just a river in Egypt. It's, it's, it's a human emotion that I think you have to take out of the equation. Look, I think auto repair, maybe it would do well on Vulcan. I don't know. Because I think the day and age of and I sort of look forward to driverless cars for this reason. When we get driverless cars, I keep thinking to myself how great this is going to be. The car is going to bring me a note. It's going to say, hey, I'm due for service. Rotate the electrons, change the transfer case fluid, swap out the battery, and I'm not going to have to argue with anybody. I'm not going to have to face that, that blitzkrieg of why did my car break? Your car broke because somebody decided that you should own it and drive it. You took it out on a road, and four or five or seven or eight or nine or ten years later, things break. That's what goes wrong with cars. Deal with it. Don't let denial keep you from taking care of your car. If you're that person out there that's got that nine-year-old battery and you're bragging about it, sooner or later you're going to find yourself like this 07 Camry owner stuck on a doorstep of a repair shop, not being able to get to where you got to get. 
automobiles require maintenance. Automobiles require proper care and 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 diagnostics in order to take care of them. I think that the industry is changing, and I'm hoping you're going to change with it. I was telling the boys, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this hour, how the industry changes. This week in the shop, now we're in North Jersey. We're in Waldwick, New Jersey. So we're we're here. We actually had a repair chain, I'm sorry, a parts chain, visit us from across the river and claiming they wanted to start delivering us parts from the Bronx. Now the Bronx is probably, Tony, 20 miles from where I am, right? The Bronx? Yeah, okay. So they're going to bring parts over the GW Bridge, come up Route 4, Route 17, to deliver parts? The parts business is that bad that we're going to start to venture on a daily basis? We had a tire company visit us from Long Island. That's probably the equivalent of 30 miles. More than that, coming over, coming up the Cross Bronx Expressway, the GW Bridge, and they come out to North Jersey once or twice a day. It's not that their businesses are expanding. The problem is the market is changing, and the, sh- the market is shrinking. And what I'm finding more and more of is we're going more into panic auto repair, things that denial kept us from doing that are forcing us to, oh, my gosh, at the last minute, something failed and something didn't get taken care of. Every one of those batteries, except for, well, I guess I guess I can't really say that. This, the 07 Camry, the battery died. I can't tell you if it was the shock of the heat of the summer, if the grids broke down. I can't tell you what took that out. But the others, except for the one battery five years old, two of those batteries at least, the 05 Pilot and the 13 Accord, both of those were young failures. Here's where I get to tell you about power frame grid technology. You hear me talking about it all the time, right? Here's where I tell you that a power frame grid technology battery will be less likely to suffer from that heat failure or that shock of temperature change because of the way the grid is made, because of the battery is made better. More information at powerframe.com. But the bottom line becomes that denial still kept those people from repairing those cars and taking proper care of them. Don't fall into the trap. We're going into winter, except for those of you podcasting down Brazil way. Um, We're going into winter here in the continental United States. So uh, this is not the time of the year you want to be stuck on the side of the road or at work when the car doesn't start. 855-560-9900, clear and clean and simple. And we also just want to do a quick shout-out and say a couple of things. Number one, the 855-560-9900 phone number is 24-7. And I want to point out for my new listeners up there in Ogdensburg, New York, just on this side of the river, um, we're now up in Ogdensburg, New York, up uh, close to the Canadian border, that that 855-560-9900 phone number, that will work. Uh, that'll work here, right, Tom? That comes uh, that comes across the river. That works internationally, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. And uh, the folks up in Canada, the uh, Prescott, uh, Toronto, and uh, Montreal areas uh, who are listening on WQTK can go ahead and... Um Give us a shout. Feel free to. It won't cost you a cent. Hey, so we'll uh, <laughs> 855-560-9900. Perfect. And I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back. Ron and Nanny the Car Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. As I said before, that is the 24-7 number, and it seems to work from everywhere, um, overseas, from over the border. And um, we're just looking for your phone calls at 855-560-9900. As a matter of fact, there is a 24-7 messaging service set up on that number, so you can call 855-560-9900 during the week. If we're not here, leave a message, and our producer will call you back and get you in the lineup Get you in the queue, and we can talk to you up here on radio like we're going to go do to Ron in Victoria, Texas, with some questions about a 2011 Chevy Traverse. Ron, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. Uh, well, uh, thank you. I'm a little bit envious of your weather, though. We're still dealing with 95-degree afternoons here. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll take 95-degree I'll take afternoons. That's okay, brother, because um, it's it's kind of dewy and damp up here, and it's you know, yeah. it's getting to that, uh, like, brrr. You know, it felt. I, I I tell you, I took the dog out this morning, and it just felt like autumn. It really did. You could just, you could just get that shiver up your spine when you're walking the dog, and it was like, oh boy, here we go. So I can take your, I can take your autumns, but I don't want nothing to do with your winters. Yeah, well, yeah, winter up here is a special event, although it's not as bad as other places. I'll, um, but isn't it? You know, I mean, as long as we're talking weather, what the heck? I don't know how it became the Weather Channel, but uh, you know, isn't it? Isn't weather? Isn't winter down in Texas kind of tough too? On in the in the places where it's prairie and you know the wind comes rolling along and it's just cold. It probably is in the in uh, West Texas, but uh, but where we're at, we're Gulf Coast, so uh, both weeks of winter's pretty tolerable. The week of winter. Yeah, usually it hits about. <laughs> Between the end of January and the beginning of February, we usually have about two, maybe three weeks if it's a severe winter. Well, let's see. For us up here, it'll start the week after Christmas, and it'll go on until uh, April 2nd, I think. Oh, I, um, I know. I was born and raised in Ohio winter. Uh, I, I went from October to March and never saw the sun. Yeah, well, I think that was our, you know, we, we have February. February is very tough. Up here, lots lots of snow and um, um, you know that kind of thing. So, but anyway, how, yeah, I have a daughter. I have a daughter that lives in Connecticut, so I I get weather reports. Yeah, you get you get the whole story. So anyway, uh, yes, uh, I I I bought this car probably three months ago, and, and uh, we had, drove it for a week, and it had an issue with the stability track, and uh, uh, I'm figured it was a uh i actually scanned it and it, it told me it was a brake pedal sensor but uh having this is a newer vehicle and i know everything's interlinked so i took it to the dealership to go ahead and have them uh go uh, run it on their on their machine and check and make sure there were no other issues and that, of course it turned out that it was a rear uh brake sensor and they replaced that and took care of my light issues but uh over the following weeks i started to uh realize this thing was getting terrible gas mileage the 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 um, um, average mileage indicator was showing me 12.5 12.8 and i thought well surely that's not right and uh so the first tank that i put in it i checked it and sure enough it's 12.8 and um did, did, i have no did, I, I have no idea. Did you notice the gas mileage getting worse ever since they did the repair? No, it's been the same. Well, I didn't really. It was the vehicle was new, and we were not really paying attention to it. And I was going through my normal uh, routine of checking things out and getting familiar with it. So we hadn't got to gas mileage yet. Right. And so the uh, 
when I got to that point, why uh, I realized this thing. You know, if we if I thought this thing would have been this bad, I would have got a suburban. Right. But, yeah. Sure. Uh, why not? At least, and, at least you. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a Texas uh, Cadillac down there, isn't it? A suburban. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, and I've had several of them, and they were getting uh, sixteen to eighteen mile gallon average. Right. So right. so, uh, uh, but anyway, now this is an all wheel drive, and and one of the concerns I had was that maybe the four wheel drive portion of it was was it, it was not acted right because when we're parked and we back out and make a hard turn, it almost feels like the suspension's kind of binding up or something. Right. It just doesn't feel what I think should be normal. Do but you, I've never had an all-wheel drive, you know, you know, car before, so I really don't know if that's normal or not. Do you have a separate button for traction control on that car, Ron? Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you turn it off, does the binding go away? Well... I can't, I I I don't know because it it I haven't I can tell you one thing uh when I took the the Stabila link uh or Stabila track off and I did a kind of a perfunctory uh mileage check in other words I put it on average mileage and it's about 17 miles from where my, where I live to where my wife works so she drives that twice a day so I drew that same route and and uh, uh, took the stability track off, and it, and I was getting about twenty miles a gallon. Right, it got better. Uh, it, it got better all of a sudden. It seemed like it did, yes. But I, I can't tell. Uh, I took it to a, a independent shop the other day, uh, thinking that maybe there was something wrong with the all-wheel drive, or somehow it wasn't coming out. But he he did a what he said was a deep scan. He said there was nothing. No codes, nothing on it. Right. I don't and think you're, so, I don't, and I don't think you're going to find codes, Ron. I think this is a characteristic of the vehicle. I hear this as a common complaint quite often. It's it's the way GM has the Stabila track designed into the vehicle. Yeah. And it seems to be a common characteristic. You drive around with the Stabila track off, it gets better fuel economy than it does with it on. So to date, I'm still waiting for the software reflash that nobody seems to have thought of yet to correct the problem but they haven't created it. I'll tell you what, Ron, stay put. A couple other things I just want to mention to you just to cover the basics. We kind of got the, the cart before the horse here. So stay where you are. We'll come back to you right after this. I'm Ron Nating, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron Nating, the car doctor, rolling along. Let's get back to Ron in Victoria, Texas. Ron, you're still there, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so there there is something peculiar about this generation Chevy Traverse with Stabilitrack that turning Stabilitrack off will increase fuel economy in miles per gallon. That being said, you know, I'd like to see you do it on a consistent basis. Does that make the difference? And if it does, at least you know what the characteristic is and how to get around it. But I also just want to cover the basics. Obviously, I'm I'm concerned, you know, about a couple other things coolant temperature fuel trim you know the basics uh, tire pressure you know before right away we jump onto the vehicle and think about you know all you know all that's all that's in line okay. i mean i i'm a former asc certified mechanic and have i had had my own shops and pretty well know my way around race build okay. race cars i know i'm i know all the drill you're talking about yeah. and everything fuel trims 
that was the one thing I checked when I went with the independent shop, and uh, they were they were within I think negative two percent or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's more than but, fine. Yeah, know, yeah, that's more but, than fine. But so then tire pressures, everything. The only thing I, the only question mark I have is the I haven't been able to find anybody who can explain how the four wheel drive, the all wheel drive works because it's convertible from ten percent to. 35% rear bias based on the traction situation. And I don't know if it's somehow stuck in 35. I can't find any way to, to, uh, to, to, uh, determine that. That's the other unknown I have. I would say, and I, I can't tell you that I've actually done this, but in my mind, I agree with you. I would think there was, there should be a way to monitor what percentage or duty cycle, um, state the traction control is in, I would think using, and I'm going to say a tech too, because I'm not sure if any other scan tool would do it, but dealer level tool, uh, you know, to have the ability to go in and look and see what state it's in, probably under either drivetrain or traction control. There's got to be a module there, whatever controls it, to see to see what it's, you know, see what the PID value is, what the percentage value is, because you're correct. But then my comment would be if it's stuck at 35%, I'll use your number, wouldn't you think that it would set a fault? Well, it, if I would think so, but there again, I don't know how it works. Right, right. I mean, that's my initial thought. I mean, anymore, everything, uh, everything in the world is is goes through so many computers, and they communicate with each other that the days of the shade tree mechanic are kind of going by the wayside. And I, I mean, I've worked on them all my life, and I I'm smart enough to know that if I don't have the right tool, I'm just beating my head against the yeah, wall. Yeah. Let me, um, you know what, Ron? Send me the VIN. Email me the VIN. Okay. For that vehicle, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. And okay. Let me run the VIN. I've got a source at GM. Maybe I can get some inside GM paperwork. Maybe I can just go through a shop manual. I've got access to GM factory manuals. Maybe I can get an actual description of how that system works. Uh, okay. And we'll, we'll both learn a little bit more about it. But I, like, like I said, oh. turning off the Stabilitrack light or the turning off the Stabilitrack, if that gets better fuel economy what, that's part of the answer okay uh, now what about disabling the fuel uh, stability track because with turning it off you've got to turn it off every time you start the car because it automatically defaults to the on position is there a way to pull a fuse that you wouldn't be able to to get the fault readings or something to disable the other parts of the car I'm wondering if you know I get I get nervous about pulling fuses because what other modules are powered up by that particular circuit, if any? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. Right. And In other words, if I could pull a fuse, I, I, I'm not worried about. I mean, we go through dry specs, dry spells that are a month long, so I could do a weak test with the Stabilitrack fuse removed and get a more accurate test right. whether or not that's actually helping. Right now, if you put a fault in the system. Such as I would, I would have to believe that the wheel speed sensors are part of the Stabilitrack system, so the computer can tell how fast you know the wheels are turning and what's losing traction and what's not. Yeah. So, so it knows how to proportion traction control. I would think right. if, if 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 somehow a wheel speed sensor got unplugged, ha ha ha. That um, yeah, but I, see, that's one thing I don't want to do because I I. I do value the analog brakes. Right, and that's I the problem. I was a former GM engineer, and I know. Right. I, I tr I, that's that's the other problem. You're going to start to disable the anti-lock brakes. 
So, yeah, and I'm not willing to do that. Right. So, you know, to actually turn off the Stabila track itself without, you know, the only thing I could think of is if you went to the transfer case, found out there's got to be a couple of switches down there, found out what switch was yeah. what, and disabled the control from that so it had no reaction that way. Well, can you data can you data log the Stabila track to? Is there some kind of box you could, you know, put in the OBD2 port and and run it for a week to tell how many times that thing cycled? Not at or our if it's cycling. Not at our level. I'm sure okay. the I'm sure the engineers have something, but not not at the repair shop level. Because okay. you're, yeah, you're, well, you're asking very valid questions, and I'm sure they would need to know that you know in, in field testing at the proving grounds and the way that they approach designing the vehicle. But yeah, a, a, a field mechanic really wouldn't need to know that, or that's their, right. that's that's their concept. Whether or not they, he needs to know that is another conversation. Let me pick your brain on one last thing, and I'm done. Okay. Uh, is there any kind of um, enthusiast-based scan tool? That will let you communicate with the modules without spending two, three thousand dollars. Right now, all right. If I was to go out and purchase a scan tool, well, there's a couple of things when I start talking about scan tools. eBay has a bunch of stuff. There is a great deal of older, good, but older scan tools on eBay right now, ranging everything from OTC Genesis to various levels of snap-on to other things. You know, you're, you might find something $500. You might find something $1,000. It depends on what you're looking for. It depends on how old. If I want something newer and a little bit more cutting edge, I think one of the better tools out there right now, bang for the buck, it's about $1,500. I know it, 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 it sounds like a lot, but the X431 Pro from launch, it's a, yeah. it's a smaller tablet. It's got a nice ergonomic handle. It, 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 it fits in the palm of your hand. It's left or right-handed. It's quick. It's Android-based. Um, it's a very down-and-dirty, works-great scan tool, if you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, well, what the problem I'm finding is that uh, I need something that I can actuate the systems on. In other words, I can go ahead and do the component tests on the, on the scan tool. So you need to, bidirectional to, control. Yeah. Take a look at the Launch that, X431 Pro. Okay. Yeah. You'll you'll find more on their website, launchtechusa.com. But take a look. Take a look at that X431 Pro. We use it in the shop. It does bi-directional control. Now, keep in mind, not every scan tool works perfectly on every car. And yeah, to date, I I've understand been, it. To date, now understand, too, I've got a choice of 19 scan tools in the shop. I've got one of everything. Uh, right well, now. Well, mostly, mostly what I deal with is, Five-year-old and older GM product. Right. Well, right right now that launch tool has become my right arm. So, okay. you know, I, I, I noticed that. I said that to Danny the other day. I said, I haven't put this tool down in three weeks. I haven't gone to anything else, and that says a lot. So Okay. I got uh, one more uh, one more comment. One I, more comment. I test, test drove uh, a 16 Hellcat the day before yesterday, and that is the most, technically sophisticated car i've ever been in in my life yeah it's it's and it, it you know to and to to further go with that statement i often wonder when they build cars that are such technically demanding vehicles have we shortened the life cycle of that vehicle because i can't imagine that car at 8 years old 9 years old having to fix some of those systems and justify the expense never mind you know diagnosing it 
and then never mind, you know, are we going to be able to still get the parts after eight years because Chrysler isn't one to keep parts around any longer than they have to. Remember, the goal is to get you to buy a new car, and sometimes I think the technology is going to drive people to do that that much faster. Ron, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the chat. And uh, run some of those things, run some of those tests, and give me a call back. Let me know how things are down Victoria, Texas way. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Ron and Annie and Ken. Hey, Ron and Annie, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to drive you to the point of what's going on with your car. That's what this radio show is all about. Let's get over and talk to Ruby, Omaha, Nebraska, 2003 Mazda. Ruby, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hi. Hi. Uh, I, I, I have a 20, two, 2003 Mazda Tribute. Okay. And suddenly the brakes went completely out. All right, to the floor. And the what? The brakes went to the floor. The pedal went to the floor. Yeah, brakes right. to the floor. Nothing right. happened. Right. Red brake light and came out on the dashboard. The red brake light my, came out on the dashboard, Ruby. You know, it wasn't. It's really my daughter's car. I'm not sure about okay. that. But uh, my son looked at it and he thinks that well, that the brake line broke and fluid leaked out by the left front tire. Okay. And. Um, I was wondering if I have that fixed. Would that be caused by some defect, or do I have to worry about it happening again? Or well, the the first the first concern I have when I have a brake line failure, what you're describing to me sounds like a brake line failure or a brake component failure. It could be wet in it could be wet up there for either one. So, for example, if the brake caliper, the piece that squeezes the brake pads together, the hydraulic portion that squeezes the brake pads together, if that if that failed, uh-huh. that would leak. If the rubber hose that connects the caliper to the steel line on the frame, if that failed, that could leak, obviously. And then is it the metal line itself? You know, so it really depends on what exactly failed, which component was taken out. So the first thing somebody wants to do, and I always do this on any sort of brake failure, is look the entire vehicle over. You know, if, if if it's rust that took out the brake line, the steel brake line, if it's rusted on the left front, it's going to be rusted on the right front, it's going to be rusted in the rear, it's going to be rusted all over. So just fixing the left front doesn't really help you because you've got three or four other places where there's a potential problem. And, you know, first step in any kind of a failure like this is complete vehicle inspection. Have you taken it to a, sure. have you taken it to a repair shop to get an estimate yet? Not yet, no, um... Uh, no, uh, not yet, but yeah, I will. But. Right, right. Um, you had a second question? Uh, um, so it could be all kinds of things, and and you have no idea what that would cost, right? Right, yeah. It could it could be all kinds of things, Ruby. It could be it could be two hundred dollars. It could be two thousand dollars. And un- until you know what the components are, you, no one would really have any idea of 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 knowing what the costs are. Until until and what would the difference be if the brake light was on? I could ask her about that. No, I was just curious if the brake light was on. If the brake light's not on, and the brake pedal goes to the floor, then I'm going to tell you that there's some sort of an, another problem in that the warning system isn't working. 
I would expect the brake light to be on because for the pedal to go to the floor, two things happen. The master cylinder is out of fluid, and the low-level light should be on or the red brake light. And the bias, the way the brake system splits front to back to maintain even braking, there's a switch and a light in there for that that will trigger the sensor failure or the light to come on. And if that light's not on, then there's a problem there too. Listen, I know it's difficult for you uh, in, in, in simple English. It's an older car. Before you spend a lot of money, go spend a little bit of money, get an evaluation and some sort of a projected component repair. What's it going to take? Does it need a caliper? Does it need a line? Does it need steel lines? And there's difference. There's a steel brake line, a rubber brake hose, and a caliper that we're talking about here. What exactly failed? And try and get some sort of an estimate. And if you have any other questions, give me a call back next week. But, you know, this is a case of look before you repair because you'll end up in the long run knowing exactly what you're getting into. I appreciate the call, Ruby. My best to you and yours out there, Omaha, Nebraska way. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Seth in Pennsylvania. Seth, Seth, I have two minutes. What's going on? Hi, Ron. Yes, I sir. have a 2004 Dodge Intrepid with a 3.5 liter uh, automatic, and um, it doesn't happen all the time, about 60% of the time. Um, I have a very hard shift from first gear to second gear. Um, I'll be going along, and the... RPM will just all of a sudden rev, and uh, all of a sudden the car will jerk, and I can feel it shift into okay. second gear. And I didn't know if that was a sign of the transmission going bad or if something else is going on. The answer is probably a sign of the transmission going bad. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions. What's the mileage on this car? Uh, 120,000. Last time the fluid was changed? Um, I think it was around 80... Okay, let's say let's say eighty thousand. We'll use that. We don't have to be more exact than that. Um, I'll assume they use the correct fluid. And when I asked that question, Chryslers of this generation were very specific in terms of fluid. They were one of those fluid sensitive vehicles, and I would have to say it was the correct fluid then, because otherwise you would be seeing the issue sooner than forty thousand miles later. So that being said, all right. Um, what I want you to do is, if you take it into a repair shop, I want it to do two things. Scan it for fault codes to see if there's anything pending, all right? Number one. Okay. Number two, talk to them about doing a CVI or a clutch volume index test, CVI. Think of a balloon, all right? If, if the balloon yep. is 10 inches in diameter, all right, every time you fill it up with air, the balloon blows up to 10 inches, that's the cushion that allows the transmission to shift. It always expects it to be out to that diameter. As the clutches and the internal components of the transmission wear, the balloon gets bigger. Your balloon, your, your clutch volume index, will tell you if that balloon is stretching to its outer limit. And if it is, it's going to cause that intermittent hard shift. 
So you want to go in and do a CVI index test to see if they're within spec and then consider changing the fluid and doing a quick learn to see if that alleviates the problem. If it doesn't, it's probably transmission rebuild time. I'm Ron Anady in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.